turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 12 this morning as we continue to look through the gospel of Mark, discovering what Mark set out to do as we saw in chapter 1 a long time ago, to reveal to us, to let us know who is Jesus, the Son of God. We sang of him this morning as the one and only, and we see him describing himself here in Mark chapter 12, as the one and only, the one and only Son of God, the one and only God-man, the one and only prophet, priest, and king. He's describing himself in all of these terms, starting with verse 35 of Mark 12 this morning. While Jesus was teaching in the temple courts, and remember, this is after, and this this is a picture of his relentless love and of his patience. He's been asked over and over and over again tricky questions from the leaders of the Jews, the scribes, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the teachers of the law, all of them together, trying to trick him, trying to find ways to condemn him to death. And even after they stopped asking questions, he continued. While Jesus was teaching in the temple courts, he asked, how is it that the teachers of the law say that the Christ, the Messiah, is the son of David? David himself, speaking by the Holy Spirit, declared, this from Psalm 110, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. David himself calls him Lord. How then can he be his son? The large crowd listened to him with delight. Verse 38, as he taught, Jesus said, watch out. For the teachers of the law. They like to walk around in flowing robes to be greeted in the marketplaces and have the most important seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at the banquets. They devour widows' houses and for a show make lengthy prayers. Such men will be punished most severely. Watch out for the teachers of the law. This strikes very close to home. This causes me to fear This could be me. You don't have to wear robes to show off cool clothes. <laughs> and some of you are thinking, he probably tried to look bad today. No, sorry, this is best I can do. Do you hear? What are you saying? Look out for people like this. And as he's saying look out for people like this, he's also saying don't be like this. Don't live this way. Did you hear Isaiah this morning? Did you hear what he said? Did you hear one of the things that he hates and he's going to judge? 
over and over again, he said it there in that second chapter of Isaiah. The proud, the arrogant. And if we're not doing anything else in this culture today, we are promoting pride and arrogance. We've got to look out. And Jesus is warning his generation, these very men that spent hours and hours trying to figure out ways to trap him, to get him, to condemn him. And and eventually, just later on in this very week that we're in right now in Mark chapter 12, eventually they're going to win. They're going to, they're going to catch him again in a blasphemy, equating himself with God. And they're going to call for his crucifixion. And through their conniving and, and, and manipulative relationships they had with, with Pilate and Pilate's weakness and Pilate's desire for his own power and strength, they condemn him to death. It's going to look like they win, but they don't. Because you know what he said at the end of this statement? These men, these condemners of the Lord Jesus, who are showing themselves to be who they really are by their arrogance, by their demand to be respected, to be shown honor. And it's passages like these why we try to keep things simple. Well, we don't come parading around trying to, trying to look cool, trying to be cool. But that everything that we would do within the body of Christ, within the local body of Christ, would be to direct our praise and our attention and our adoration on our Lord Jesus Christ. Our creator, our sustainer, our savior, who deserves all the glory and all the praise. We deserve none of it. No matter how well we sing, no matter how well we play, no matter how well we preach, whatever the circumstance, no matter how good we look, he deserves all the praise. And so as you watch out for people like this who would claim to be Christian leaders, also watch out for yourselves. That we don't think of ourselves more highly than we ought. That we don't seek out ways for people to praise us and adore us and refer us and promote us. Look out for those, those attitudes. Remember who we are. Remember who David was talking about. The Lord said to my Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ, the God man the prophet, priest, and king, all in one, the one and only. We look to him. We look to him to bring all praise and honor and glory, no matter what our circumstance, no matter what our opportunity. We always look for a way to say, God is great. God is love. God is full of grace and mercy, and that's the only reason I have the opportunity to stand on on this platform. 
The only reason we have the opportunity to sing praise to his name. The only reason that we have the opportunity to lift each other up in our circumstances in our lives, to encourage each other, to point each other to the Savior. The only reason that we have a voice, a witness among those who still don't know him, who still haven't acknowledged him, who still haven't put their trust in him. And as Rodney started our service this morning, we hope that you have peace with God. We hope that you recognize that there is a way to have peace with God. We hope that each of you, each of us, recognize how we can be ready for that day when he returns because he is returning. Isaiah talked about it. We sing about it. Jesus talks about it. He's coming back, and we need to be ready. Believers in Christ, we need to be ready because we've been living our lives for his glory. We haven't been living this life stealing glory from him, looking for ways that we can make people think that we're great. We haven't been, we haven't been living our lives like that. We've been living our lives to bring him the honor and glory that he deserves. Even in the way we treat each other. People who haven't yet put your trust in Christ, you can be ready for his coming by putting your trust in Jesus, the only Son of God. Here in this passage, he's revealing himself to the world again, letting his listeners on that moment, letting the readers of Mark from the first century until today know that he alone is the Son of God. He alone is the Son of David a king in David's line, and also the Lord over David as God himself. He's the only one. He's the one who can give you peace with God. He's the one who made the statement later on this very same week in John chapter 14. He said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. In other words, no one has peace with God except through Jesus. And he did it by taking in this week, taking himself all the way to the cross. Not stopping. Could have stopped the process anytime he wanted to. Remember what he did to the soldiers when they showed up at Gethsemane. Remember when he said, I am he in their presence when they're looking for Jesus. Boom, they fell on their backs. He could have stopped the process anywhere along the way. He had that kind of power, but he didn't because he knew what his death was going to do. He knew that he was the only one who could redeem his people and the Gentiles, all of us. He's the only one who could forgive us of our sins, the only one who could give us peace with him. And so that's how we can be ready. Notice that these teachers of law didn't just stop with apparel arrogance and banquet arrogance, but they also devoured the houses of widows. They took advantage of the most vulnerable people in their community. Some of them got rich off of the properties of widows within their community. 
because in, in those days there wasn't such a there wasn't such a thing as women's rights. Every man had an executor of his estate, and often they chose the teachers of the law to fill that position. And when they did, often those teachers of the law, once they were in charge of the estate, would take care of the widow out of the profits maybe that they could gain off of the rental and the use of that property, not taking care of the widow herself, but filling their own pockets with money that they could buy more flowing robes to impress the people. I want you to turn in your Bibles. We don't have it on the screen this morning, but turn in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 22. When Jesus said that these men devoured widows' homes, remember, they were, in, they were listening. They were there when Jesus was saying this. And remember, they knew the law very well. Look at Exodus chapter 22, verse 22. Do not take advantage of a widow or an orphan. If you do and they cry out to me, I will certainly hear their cry. My anger will be aroused and I will kill you with the sword. Your wives will become widows and your children fatherless. Whoa. Jesus said this a long time before he said this. If you get my drift. What he's announcing to the people to watch out for in the teachers of the law, he said that a long time ago. And we wonder what, he's, what he means when he says, these men will be punished most severely. Well, this is a pretty severe announcement of judgment back in Exodus 22. Something they should have known they were supposed to be aware of, and they were. But what were they doing? They were turning their backs on the word of God. The word that they knew with their heads, it wasn't true to their hearts. It makes us pause and ask ourselves, what do we do with the knowledge that we have of the word of God? Do we take it to heart? Do we recognize that he's serious? As I've mentioned, and and a lot of you have heard this, as as you've been paying attention to what's being said these days, a lot of the times through, you know, broadcasts and podcasts and these kinds of things, there are plenty of people today that are saying, we worship the New Testament God. We don't have a whole lot of respect for or time for the Old Testament God. Because they think, there's, they think there's two different revelations of, of who God is. And that the old one, that, that, was, for, that was for old days when, when people weren't very smart. But now that we're smarter, now that we've come of age, now that we've been enlightened, now that we know how things really are, now we, we'll go for the New Testament God. The problem is the people that are saying that apparently haven't read their New Testament. Because he's very clearly the same God, both old and new. This is another example of it. Here is the Lord Jesus himself, 
the one that those who like to separate the Old Testament from New Testament God, who say, no, in the New Testament we follow Jesus, he is all loving, all the time, only. Never judging. Never, never saying a harsh word. You know what he said? These guys, and they were in his presence, they are going to be punished most severely. And they knew what he was talking about. They'd read it before. They knew his word. There is coming a day when those who continue in their rebellion against God will face the severe punishment of God. That day is coming. For some, it's when they pass away and they, and they meet their maker. That really takes place. For some, it will be when he returns, which could be right now. And when I say that, ask yourself the question, am I ready for him to come right now? And you know, I, I mentioned to you, there were there were been times in my life as a Christian when I didn't want him to come. Because I had six flags to come later that week. Or I was going to be getting married. And I wanted that to happen first. We need to be ready. He fulfills every single promise that he makes. So don't think that he's not going to come back like he says in his word that he's going to come back. Don't think that he's not going to hold every single person accountable for what they've done with the life that he's given them. Don't think he's not going to do that. He is going to hold everybody accountable. And those of us who have put our trust in Jesus, who believe in him, who believe him when he says that he is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through him, those of us who believe him, our sins, the things that we would be held accountable for, have all been put on his cross. And we are not going to be held accountable for those things because he suffered for those things already. That makes us ready for that day. Keeping our fellowship open with him through our obedience to him, through living our lives for his glory, that also keeps us ready for his return. I remember I learned this in a very very harsh way, at least harsh to me. When I was in college, a teammate of mine, his sister was coming to town, and and, uh, he was trying to find a date for her. And he picked me because I was so religious, because she was really religious, he said. So he picked me. So I went. So I go on this double date with him and his girlfriend and me and his sister. This is before Sherry would accept any um, invitations to date me. Uh, she eventually saw the light, but but at first went out with this girl, my my teammate's sister, and this teammate was a, was a little more on the rebellious side. And so we, we went from, from Dayton to Nashville, which is like, you know, two-and-a-half-hour drive. 
And we started going to these, these um, he said it was to listen to music, but it was, it, they were the bars. And um, so we were bar hopping. And finally in the third place, the girl that I came with, or came to be, you know, be the date of, she said, Ricky, I'm tired of going to these places. What if the Lord Jesus comes back tonight? I don't want to be in here. I thought, I should have said that. I should have said, I, I just was just going along. I should have said that. And I'm not saying there's never reason to be, you know, Jesus was in places like that and, and winning people to, to himself and others have too. But that wasn't my purpose in there, you know. Am I living my life in light of the fact that he's promised that he's returning soon? Are we? And so we listen to this word this morning to ask these questions of ourselves, to to make sure that we are taking advantage of everything that God has done for us to ready ourselves for this. Your being here this morning is, is a great thing to do to help us in our personal readiness. Because sometimes in our weakness, we haven't, we haven't confessed our sins before the Lord right when we committed them. And sometimes it happens on Sunday when we're singing these songs or, or hearing these verses or listening to the message or going to class or whatever we might be doing or having a conversation when we're convicted and confronted with our sin and we say, you know what, I, we don't say it out loud necessarily, Some, sometimes we do, but as we're singing we might say, you know what, I need to be... I need to be one of those people that's ready. Not, not that I'm not ready because my sins aren't forgiven, but I'm not ready because my fellowship with God isn't right. I need, to, I need to confess something to him. And thank God for John, his apostle, who said in his first epistle, 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he's speaking to believers, he's speaking, speaking to people who are already forgiven of all their sins. If we confess our sins... He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It's a great picture of readiness. And we break that fellowship with him every time we sin, every time we decide to do things our way. Every time we decide, in some cases, to be like the teachers of the law, to be arrogant, to be proud, to be showy, to be cool to care about reputation and stuff instead of about God and about people, things that last forever. Whatever the case, when we sin, we break that fellowship with him, but when we confess it to him, he restores that fellowship immediately and instantly. And so as we ask the question, are we ready? Are we, are we ready to face the day that he was talking about? When he said these men were going to be punished most severely, are we ready for that? Put your trust in Jesus this morning if you haven't. The Apostle Paul used this language. I implore you in 2 Corinthians 5. I implore you, I beg of you, be reconciled to God. Become the friend of God instead of his enemy. Because if you're still living in your sins, you're his enemy. But Jesus died to make you his friend. Be friends of God. And friends of God, 
live like friends of God. Let's bow together in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, thank you so much for following through with your plan. As painful as it was for you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, in all of the splendor of that plan, in all of the wisdom of that plan, it was so painful. And yet, for the joy set before you, Lord Jesus, you endured the cross, knowing what that cross was going to mean for all of us to bring you the glory that we were made, that we were created to bring to you. We thank you. And Father, we ask that you would help those here today or online with us today who aren't yet your friends, haven't yet been made right with you through Jesus. Give them the faith, we pray. Give them the wisdom, the courage to let everything else go that they've been trying to do to win a relationship with you, to earn a relationship with you. Help them to let those things go and to put all their trust in one person, Jesus. And Father, for those of us who have already done that, help us to live like it. Help us to take the warning that we've received this morning and to turn away from our sins, to confess them to you, and to live in the peace that you've given us in Christ. Be glorified in us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.